This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day two. So coming to us from the east coast of America, I'd like to introduce Dan Brown. Good morning, Dan. Hey, Steve. How are you? Very well, thank you. I will, I will hand over to you and you can kick us off. Fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Uh, I'm going to uh, fire up my slides and hopefully that will work great. Uh, so uh, thanks, uh, Steve, uh, for uh, and to the whole uh, UX Australia team for uh, having me. It's a really great uh, honor uh, to be a part of this. Uh, when Steve approached me to ask if I had any good topics, I told, told him I was sort of kicking this idea around of how do we ask uh, better questions and sort of what, what role do questions play uh, in the field of user experience? Um, and uh, um, he said, sounds great. And so here we are, and I wanna thank all of you who are attending uh, for joining me uh, on this uh, little journey. Uh, this, uh, just a quick introduction. My name is Dan. Uh, like Steve said, I wrote uh, Communicating Design as well as a couple of other UX books. And uh, I run a small design firm uh, in the Washington DC area uh, called Eight Shapes. Uh, and this slide is here to remind us that time is weird because it's still August 25th uh, where I am. My friend Erica Hall, she runs a shop uh, in San Francisco called Mule Design. Uh, she once said that the question is the most important tool. And that's really what started this whole journey uh, for me. When she said that it sort of got me thinking differently uh, about uh, the role of questions uh, in UX. Uh, and so I'm gonna start this journey with a question, kind of an age-old uh, question, and that question is, what do designers want? Maybe I should ask it like a question. What do designers want? Uh, you should feel free to put your answers uh, in the chat. I'm confident someone will read them. Uh, so I started, when you, when you ask this question, the most obvious answer is uh, seat at the table. And if you said seat at the table, you're gonna get extra swag in your swag bag. Uh, but why? Why do designers keep asking for a seat at the table? And when you sort of look around or talk to folks about this or think about it for yourself, you, you realize they wanna have a voice. They want to um, uh, influence decisions. Uh, and they want to be able to provide answers. They want to have a greater level of influence over the, the decisions that are made. And I find this very puzzling because when I think about user experience uh, as a practice, as a field, uh, as a design effort, I realize that answers are really only part of the equation and that UX is as much about asking questions if not more about asking questions, as it is about having the answers. And in fact, when I think about the des design practice, the practice of design, what I think of when I think about that, people frame it as problem solving or um, uh, you know coming up with a solution. But I think design is also great at bringing together many perspectives, many voices. When we ask a question, um, we are looking for answers. 
One view of, des of design, one way to define it, is to think of it as this means for bringing together multiple perspectives. I mean, the design process is essentially ask a question, get some answers, and turn those answers into a meaningful product, and then ask again. Questions are everywhere in user experience. Any activity that you can think of that relates to user experience has uh, questions. You can't actually do UX without asking questions. So they are everywhere. And part of me wonders, as long as I've been in this business, as long as Steve and I have been in this business, why haven't we thought more deeply about how we ask questions, the kinds of questions that we ask? Let me take one of these. I'm going to take the, the obvious uh, example, uh, user interviews. There are questions that you ask yourself, and there are questions you ask others. And user interviews are perhaps the best uh, example uh, of this, or one of the best examples of this. So I'm going to insert a lot of examples uh, of questions that come from my real life projects. So the good news is that these are grounded in reality. The bad news is I work on some very, very weird projects. Uh, I'll take a little detour here to tell you that one of my clients thinks about uh, licensing architects, building architects, uh, and they're an organization that helps people um, navigate the bureaucracy of getting licensed in different states. Every, every US state, has its own uh, licensing rules. One of those rules is you have to sit to take an exam. And another rule is you have to be eligible to take the exam, have the right amount of experience, have uh, the right amount of education, all of that, so you can sit to take the exam. We call that eligibility to take the exam. So uh, I've been working on a project recently about uh, to design a new app uh, to help people um, gain eligibility to take the exam. And so one of the questions that we might ask uh, aspiring architects is when you didn't get eligibility to take the exam, when you, didn't, when you were not granted eligibility, what did you do? But this doesn't come from nowhere. This comes from uh, a question that we on the team asked ourselves, that I asked myself. Does this exam eligibility product need to support a no but. We have a yes answer, we have a no answer. Does it need to support a no but if you do X, Y, and Z, you will get eligibility. I promised obscure examples and I believe I am delivering obscure examples. So here we are. On the left, we have uh, a question that we asked ourselves. We wouldn't put this in front of uh, users. So what we need to do is to try and answer that question, we come up with a question that we ask an actual uh, user, an actual aspiring architect. And what we've seen in uh, uh, the design uh, process is that we come up with a hypothesis. And it's really that hypothesis that leads us to ask certain questions that, uh, of ourselves, that leads us to ask questions of others. And others here could be other designers, other users or users, stakeholders, someone besides ourselves, something, someone that we kind of reach out to where we are seeking information from them. The answers that we get to those questions have us revise our hypotheses.
And so when I think about questions in this way, I can't help but see them as propelling the design process, as being a central driving force to how design works. And you can see questions appear in uh, all aspects of the design and discovery process. Discovery, uh, that messy part of design that comes up front, is of particular interest uh, to me. I think a lot about how we do uh, discovery. So let's talk for a moment uh, about discovery. Discovery is like the ultimate question-asking uh, process in design. To better understand how discovery works, I developed a model to help us understand uh, why we do the things that we do uh, in discovery. For better force, my favorite models are two by twos, so here's where we landed. Um, uh, I took the idea that design is about diverging ideas and converging on a single idea, and I mapped that against the idea that part of design is understanding the problem, defining what the problem is, and part of design is creating a solution to meet that problem. Uh, and that ultimately these four quadrants help us understand not just what we do, but why we do the things that we do. I gave each of these quadrants names, uh, and I identified the kinds of activities that we would do in um, each of these uh, different uh, categories of activities. So for example, gathering is simply pulling a lot of information uh, together. That could be interviewing users or understanding the domain, analyzing the competition, exploring is um, uh, trying to explore different ideas, different potential solutions. And on the converging side, we process uh, all the information that we get to try and create uh, patterns and conclusions and insights. And on the solution side, when we converge, we create a plan, we create a focus, we um, create a scope for what we're trying to do. The only reason why I bring that up here is that as we look in each of these quadrants, if this is one way of looking at design, we can see how questions for both ourselves and questions for others uh, play a role here. I'm gonna go quickly through each um, uh, quadrant here. So the gather, uh, set of activities is about collecting inputs for the creative process. And so you're asking yourself, what are some of the gaps in my knowledge? But you might then try and seek those gaps, uh, seek to fill those gaps by asking someone else, tell me more about whatever it is that you're studying, uh, architectural licensing in the United States. Process, I use this word here to mean sort of analyze or um, make sense of all the data uh, that's that's coming in. Generate insights uh, based on all the things that we uh, gathered. And so we might ask ourselves, all right, so of everything that we gathered, what's most important? And if we want to engage someone else in that uh, process, we might show them some of the insights and ask, how might you prioritize these? In the explore quadrant, we are generating and recombining uh, ideas. And so we might ask ourselves, what if we created a product that does X, Y, and Z? But in order to engage people in that uh, exploration process, we might need to be more concrete, more pragmatic, more grounded, and say, hey, what would you want to see on a screen here? Focus, this is where we take all the ideas that we generated and explore and focus them down to try and understand what are our priorities and what is our plan for moving forward? So the question that we're asking ourselves is, how do we make this real? 
And then the question that we might ask others is, what resources can you dedicate to make this thing real? Again, we're getting pragmatic, but when it's time to focus, we ask questions to help people see what it takes uh, to build something. And I bring this up only to, to uh, emphasize that questions play a role in every aspect of uh, the design and discovery process. Uh, if you want to learn more about the discovery matrix, and I'll post this uh, URL to the Slack, um, I've got a, a more comprehensive um, uh, view of this matrix that kind of details some of the activities. And this is really the focus of my most recent book, uh, which came out a couple years ago, called Practical Design uh, Discovery. This is a good time to revisit what Erica said. The designer's most important tool is the question. And so now I want to take a moment and ask ourselves, what do we mean by tool? We use a lot of tools in the design process. I think we're kind of at a really interesting uh, time where we're seeing, again, some fragmentation in, uh, in the design tools um, uh, that are available. Uh, to us, but not a day goes by where I don't use at least three of the things that uh, we're looking at on the screen here. And so it might seem kind of weird to put questions among these tools. We've got elaborate apps, we've got cloud-based apps, we've got animation, we've got all of these things. It seems almost out of place to say that the question also belongs here. But I want to take a moment and think about when we say tool, what do we mean? I want to think about, uh, for any given tool, its features, its capabilities. That is to say, what it can do and what it can't do. This is knowing the purpose or the function of the tool, what it's for and what it's meant to do. If we try and use Sketch to create a flowchart, it wasn't really meant to do that. We tried to do it, but it wasn't really meant to do that. Or to write a report, it wasn't really meant to do that. And once we have an understanding of its capabilities, we want to think about um, the use uh, of it, the application of it. And I call this the configuration. How can we um, set up the tool to best uh, suit our needs? What dials can we turn to push it to its limits? And once we have a good understanding of that, we have some expertise and experience. And it's really at that point that we can say to ourselves, um, what do I, uh, how do I integrate this effectively into my work? How can I make this an extension of my thought process? How can I uh, turn this into not just um, a tool that I pick up on occasion, but a tool that I turn to to help me work through a problem? And I think we can ask these things about questions as well. Actually, I know we can because I'm about to do that for you. We can challenge questions the way we can challenge any tool. And we can use this framework to think about how to ask better questions. I want to be super clear that for the rest of this uh, talk, uh, I'm going to exclude the questions that you ask yourself. I think those are very powerful, and obviously I think they are very important. Um, but um, uh, those are not um, the kinds of questions that I am uh, talking about. 
another one of my clients deals a lot with um, the university admissions process uh, here in the in the US and so we often ask ourselves how do they evaluate applications for example or how do they market uh, to uh, um, teenagers who are early in their high school career versus later in their high school uh, career um, what if we could and we ask like what if they could prioritize the applications with machine uh, learning well, there's a fantastic book called A More Beautiful Question uh, by Warren Berger. And um, uh, it's, uh, it was not what I thought it was going to be when I picked it up. Um, but what it does do is helps us craft better questions that we ask ourselves. And it's got a lot of great stories about um, people who ask themselves difficult questions, challenging questions. So even though we've got those questions in the back of our head, what I'm more interested in is how do I craft a question? How do I use this tool most effectively when I'm trying to get information out of someone else? So we're going to use these different ways of looking at questions, the purpose of it, the kind of answer that you're looking for, the configuration, how you uh, adjust uh, the question, the, the different ways you can adjust the question and intention. Um, what is your intent for this question? Not just what kind of information are you getting out of it, but how are you creating a dynamic between you and the participant? Let's start with purpose. The purpose of any question is to try and bring information into the world so we can uh, share it, right? The purpose of a question is to prompt someone uh, to provide some kind of answer. But in the user experience design process, there are different kinds of information you can bring into the world. And as I thought about it, I thought there are five different kinds of questions that I ask, five different purposes uh, for my questions. Your mileage may vary. I'm eager to hear all about it. Um, and what I've said here should not invalidate anything that you feel about your question asking practice. I will probably say that two more times uh, before the end of this uh, talk. So if when I'm asking questions that are meant to confirm my understanding of something, these are questions that validate my knowledge. When I want to try and expand my uh, knowledge about a topic, these are questions that plumb the, the depths. When I want to improve my understanding uh, of a given topic, these are questions that are meant to clarify. When I'm simply asking a question to get everyone in the right mindset, those are questions that prime. And then I also ask questions that ask people to judge opportunities, to think about uh, what are some of the possibilities that are out there. Let's take a look at each one of these. When you are asking questions that validate, you are um, putting a hunch out there, uh, or you have a hunch in the back of your mind, and you ask a question that you already know the answer to. A couple years ago, I was more than a couple. Four or five years ago, I was working on uh, an app uh, to help parents bridge the gap between what their kid was reading um, and uh, you know, the fact that the parent didn't necessarily know what they were, were reading. And so the purpose of this app was to create that connection between parent and child around a book. So we conducted a, a bunch of user interviews, and I would ask, when was the last time you read to your child? And literally every answer was, last night at bedtime. Right. I knew that, 
but I ask that question just to validate that uh, we're uh, that that is a, a typical habit uh, among parents. Questions that plumb. So this is when you want a deeper understanding uh, of that of a topic. It turns out some of the things, these topics that I deal with, like uh, college admissions or uh, architectural licensing, are extremely nuanced and complex. And I've been thinking about them for five, six, seven, eight, nine years in some cases, and I still don't fully understand every nuance uh, about uh, these topics. Um, so uh, I will constantly ask questions that help me get a better understanding of the topic. This means I'm taking my current knowledge, my current experience, and I'm building upon it to try and get even more depth and understanding about the nuance. In fact, I had a breakthrough the other day where I realized that sometimes these kinds of questions lead to what I called hidden categories. That is to say, um, you think an idea is about one thing, and when you ask more about it, you realize it's actually two different kinds of things. Uh, those are the kinds of questions I think uh, that I love because it really helps deepen my understanding. You might ask questions that are meant to clarify your understanding uh, of a topic, something that's ambiguous. I have a relatively new client that's a pharmaceutical company and we're really trying to wrap our arms around the process for doing clinical trials. Um, and so, um, we know that there are two different kinds of clinical trials, or maybe there's two clinical trials that are, I don't know, testing this uh, on the same kind of condition. Um, and I just need to have a better understanding of what that actually uh, means. Um, this next one I think of as kind of a Dan special, but maybe other people do this uh, too. This is sort of asking a question that you already know the answer to, but your purpose is not to validate that. Your purpose is to put them in the right mindset. Um, so uh, one of my colleagues, Kevin, does uh, interviews of stakeholders when they're thinking about standing up a new design system. And we were talking about how does he get them to stop thinking about the next two sprints and start thinking about the big picture. And what we talked about was maybe using a question like this one um, is to switch gears. Let me put you in the right mindset by asking you about the next 12 months. Honestly, I've seen your roadmap. I know it's on it. So yes, maybe I'm already asking you a question or asking a question that I already know the answer to, but at the same time, this puts you in the right frame of mind. Uh, so that when I ask subsequent questions, you're not thinking about the next two sprints, you're thinking about the long term. And the last one here is questions that I ask people to see, do you have any new ideas to see, have you thought about this in a different way? Um, often this is done with a prompt, putting a screen in front of them or putting a, you know, some kind of um, uh, tool that uh, can provoke some of those ideas that they can react to. Um, but sometimes it's just simply, is there anything that we should have talked about that we didn't, right? As a way to kind of uh, get them to think in a new way uh, about this thing. So I'd like us to do a little exercise because uh, that seems feasible, right? Um, and just take a moment, if you have scrap paper uh, around on your desk, if you've got uh, notes that you're taking, uh, hanging on my every word, if uh, you've got something nearby that you can write with, 
I'm going to challenge you to write a question down. And let's try and make this as um, straightforward uh, as possible. So lots of hobbies here. I love hobbies. I love hearing about people's hobbies. Um, and maybe you want to learn more about someone's hobby. So just pick a random hobby off this list and then choose a kind of question that you want to ask. Do you want to ask a question that confirms a hunch that you have? Do you want to ask a question that sort of plums the depths of your understanding of the hobby? Uh, or do you want them to, uh, do you want to ask a question uh, to get them to consider uh, the, the possibilities of it? I'm going to take a drink of water and give you a moment to write down a question. And then I'm going to show you some examples. I'm confident that all of you wrote down questions, which means there's like 200 questions now that's, that people wrote down. So let's pick board games because obviously that's the greatest hobby there is. Um, and maybe you uh, already know that board games are going through a resurgence. So you just want to confirm, uh, validate uh, your hunch. I understand that board games are going through a resurgence. Is that true? You're damn right it's true. And maybe you want to plumb the depths of what does board gaming as a hobby really mean? So maybe you want to start thinking not just what games people play, but what, what does it take for a game to be played many times in a row? Uh, so you might ask, what was the last board you, game you played several times in a row? What drew you to it? And maybe you want to ask people to open up their mind to new possibilities. There are a lot of board games uh, that have been ported to, excuse me, your smartphones. Have you tried any of those? So hopefully uh, you've got an interesting question uh, and questions need to be edited and revised. So I wouldn't worry too much about your exact formatting or wording, but you've got to start here. I want to move on now to talk about a question's intention. Um, remember, a question's purpose is what kind of information are we going to put in the world? A question's intention is what uh, what, how am I going to influence the relationship between me, the questioner, and the uh, participant, the person answering the question? Uh, I've come up with three possible intents for questions uh, in the user experience world. I would imagine uh, in the legal world uh, or in other uh, venues, there may be many other intents for questions. Um, but uh, for, for me, I've come up with uh, three. And I think during the course of an interview, during the course of a conversation, you bring all three intentions uh, to bear. So the first one is to empathize, right? This word empathy gets thrown around a lot in the user experience world. I have mixed feelings uh, about that because I think it's sometimes hard to really understand what do we mean by empathy? But in the case of asking a question, you can frame the question in a way that shows them that you understand. Just when you thought we were done with obscure clients, this is a client that uh, my colleague Chris and I had a few years ago, uh, and they're called Career Key. Uh, they're a little mom and pop uh, operation, and uh, what they do is um, they have a unique psychological profile uh, that um, test that helps uh, high school and college students zero in on a set of careers that might be most appropriate for them based on their comfort level with different 
uh, settings, essentially. Um, so it's not quite so prescriptive as Myers-Briggs, um, and it's really meant to help students feel like there are possibilities for them. So we designed this interface. This is at the end of the, the quit, end of the test that you take to try and get a sense of, here are all these careers uh, available to you. And I interviewed some uh, teenagers, uh, high school, local high school students, uh, when we were doing research uh, for this. And it made me feel old. But I also realized that part of this was trying to empathize with the position that they were in. So I would say things like, look, I know a career seems so far away. So let's talk about what's jumping off the screen at you that might get you excited about planning for the future. It's not genius or brilliant, but the idea is to try and frame the question in a way that acknowledges uh, that you understand where they might be coming from. Curiosity is kind of a big theme for me, and so uh, engage is trying to help them understand that you're here to learn. You're not here to judge them. You're not here um, to test them. You're not here um, to make them feel like they're wrong uh, about anything. Instead, you are genuinely here uh, to learn. I start a lot of my questions, for better or for worse, with I'm curious about, because generally I am curious about these things. So back to interviewing the teenagers about career key, um, I'll say something like, I have no idea what it's like uh, to be a teenager growing up in uh, these days in the 21st century. I'm really curious, how does seeing some of these things, these pieces of information fit into your view of the world? Tell me what's relevant here to how you view of the world. I'm genuinely curious because I have no idea what it's like to be a teenager in the 21st century. And the last intention here is to um, uh, build trust. And one way to do that is to show them that you are vulnerable. Um, so you can, um, uh, and one way that I do this is to say, look, I really need your help uh, here. Um, so again, when we were testing this uh, display, we would show it to people and I would say, look, I really need your help fine tuning how we display this information, how we show this information. Can we go through each column um, so you can help me think about what's the right way of displaying or, or uh, conveying uh, this information? So we're back at the question that you wrote. And I'm curious, I wonder if you can try and alter your question to make your question even more personal, to make it um, either uh, empathetic, to show that you understand what people are dealing with, with their hobbies, uh, that uh, you can make it more engaging to show that you are here to learn, or to build trust, to show at least some vulnerability, right? Um, so I'm gonna take another drink of water and give you a moment to think about how might you alter your question to either empathize, engage, or build trust. Let me give you uh, an example of that. So here we have, what was the last board game you played several times in a row and what drew you to it? If I were to convey my, um, my genuine curiosity 
uh, here, um, showing that I'm genuinely here to learn, uh, I might preamble the question by saying, I'm really interested in how people play some games again and again and again, and others just sit on the shelf. And I'm pointing that way because that's where my board game shelf is, where many games sit. Um, what was the last board game you played several times in a row, and what drew you to it? A really good preamble can help set the stage for uh, your intent for each of these questions. And the last thing here is uh, configuration. This is the way the question is uh, built, the precise words that you use, the way you ask it to help serve the purpose and the intention. And uh, I want to do this section a little bit differently. Instead of diving right in to how I think about this, I want to start with some question asking myths uh, that kind of bug me um, to the extent that I get bugged about anything. Um, so one of the pieces of advice that we hear when we're learning how to do interviews is make it open-ended. If you ask a yes-no question, that's bad. Yes-no questions are uh, obstruct people from actually um, uh, giving you a more complete uh, answer, and uh, they kind of abort uh, the, the flow of the, of the conversation. And I understand the intent uh, there, um, but it's okay if that's the first kind of question that pops uh, into your head. You can always ask it, let them answer, and then reframe it, right, or redirect them. Um, I also think, I don't know if this is just because I uh, live and work in the Washington, D.C. area, but no one ever just says yes or no. They provide quite an extensive response to justify their yes or no. And you can always ask a follow-up. Someone says yes, you can say, oh, really? I was not expecting you to say that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? The other myth that we hear, or the other kind of piece of advice that we hear is, make it a conversation, make it super casual, make it comfortable, make it personal. Um, like you're going to meet this person uh, for coffee and um, look, my best friend lives just down the road. We've known each other for 30 years. And even he and I sometimes need a little time uh, to get into the groove of a conversation. So I think um, one of the things that this advice doesn't take into account is generally the interviews that I run, say with users or with business stakeholders, are 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Um, uh, and so I have limited amount of time and I may never speak to them ever again in my life. Uh, so, um, so I think it's uh, unfair to put this kind of pressure on yourself when um, the nature of an interview uh, bucks the norms of most polite conversation. And then the other thing that we get is don't ask leading questions. This is questions where you're sort of nudging the participants to a certain answer. And I can see the point of this when uh, we're talking about, say, usability testing, and you're like, the button is right there. That's not the kind of leading question that I'm talking about. Um, but I think it's really important to acknowledge that um, your participant is self-aware, uh, but they may also need a little bit of help. You're asking hard questions uh, about their work, uh, about the design process, about um, their role in the design process. We, these are not simple questions. So giving someone a little bit of a boost uh, is always helpful. One technique that 
that I use is don't let me put words in your mouth. So I'll say, so I'm kind of thinking X, Y, and Z, but don't let me put words in your mouth. Is that true? So I get them to respond to the thoughts that I have in my head. So I went through these myths uh, or these uh, practices that people talk about because I think this is a lot of the advice that we get. And it's sometimes hard to reconcile with the reality of the kind of work that we do. So I'm instead going to give you four dials that you can turn and think about how do I incorporate these things into the kinds of questions that I'm asking. So the first of these dials is scope. How much are you asking about? The second of these dials is examples. How much are you embedding uh, examples of what you're looking for into the question itself? The third is context. How are you uh, pointing participants in the right direction? This is the area of the topic that you're most interested in. And then the last is perspective. From what position are they answering the question from? So you can look at these as different components of a question that can be turned all the way down to zero or all the way up to 11, uh, or sort of different little ingredients that you can throw into a question to change up how you're asking it. The point here is to give you some filters, some lenses, I don't know, some ingredients that you can play with to think about what are some other ways that I could be asking about this uh, topic. So let me give you some uh, examples. When we're talking about scope, we're talking about broadening or narrowing the question. A great example of this is instead of tell me about your process, you say, tell me about the last time you did this process. Maybe you've heard that one. Uh, before. And I think that's a really good starting point to say, tell me about the last time or the most difficult time, right? Get them to zero in on a particular uh, instance of the topic, and then you can broaden it out. So I think I mentioned uh, the architectural licensing. This is something I did not design, uh, but is something on their public facing website. I mostly work on internal facing tools, but I just did some usability testing on this tool earlier this year uh, to tee us up for, uh, for doing a redesign uh, of it. And you go here uh, on their website to uh, learn what the requirements are if you want to get a license, say, in uh, Texas. Uh, uh, so you might show someone this website and say, what are the requirements for getting licensed in Texas? But that's actually kind of a complicated question, and most architects know that there's more nuance there. So what I might say instead is, how would you determine the educational requirements for getting licensed in Texas, right? Let's start narrower. So, and just focus on the educational requirements. That is, what kind of degree do you need in order to uh, get a license in Texas? I might even ask, what are your educational, what are, what are the required uh, educational credentials if you wanna get your first license? license in Texas. Um, there are other ways to get licenses besides uh, just kind of showing up and asking for your first license. Let's move on. So another ingredient that you can throw into your questions is uh, actual examples. Um, so you might encourage the participant with answers that you've heard uh, before. Let's go back to the licensing tool. Um, so you might say something like, what should we look at? now like where do you want to go next and again that sort of paradox of choice says there's a lot of options in front of someone maybe let's help help narrow that 
uh, a little bit by uh, inserting some examples to prompt them. Would you like to look at the requirements for renewing your license? Or maybe look at the requirements for another state, I might even add, or is there something else that you would like to look at, right? So by kind of prompting them with a couple of, of examples, I might feel like I'm leading them, but at the same time, I'm providing the help that they might need in order to uh, continue on with this conversation. When I provide context in a question, I'm pointing the participant to the right aspect uh, of uh, the topic. So again, if my starting question is, what are the requirements for getting licensed in Texas? By adding context, I might say to them, you know what, why don't we imagine that you're at the beginning of the licensing process and you're trying to decide where you want to register. Maybe one of the states you're considering is Texas. So again, creating this preamble that establishes a little bit more context helps people put uh, helps people uh, go into the right mindset for answering your question. And then the last ingredient uh, that I've started using more and more of is choose where to position the participant in uh, the question. And it's best to see this uh, with an example. Um, so uh, which I'll uh, get to the licensing one now. I'll describe another way that I've used this. Um, so I asked this very question of uh, folks. Let's say you were giving advice to someone else. I love that framing because it gets them to sort of take themselves out of the process and instead think about how altruistically might they help someone else. Or um, when I'm talking about uh, more internal tools, uh, we've been talking to college admissions folks, uh, and I'll say, okay, so if you were to coach someone on your team about how to use this tool, what would you tell them? And those kinds of, that kind of framing um, gets them outside uh, their own perspective and forces them to think about it in a new way. So we're back to the practical part uh, of this keynote. Um, and uh, I want you to change one of the parameters on your hobby question. So if the question was, what was the last board you, game you played several times in a row and what drew you to it? If you change the scope, how might you broaden or narrow that question? How might you embed examples in the question to direct the person on how they might answer it? How might you point them in the right uh, direction uh, by providing some context? Board gaming is a very, very big, uh, a big hobby. Um, so how would you direct them to the right part, uh, what right aspect that you're most interested in? And then how might you shift the, uh, their perspective? Take another drink of water and give you a chance uh, to think about how you might change the question that you posed. I chose perspective by changing this one parameter on my hobby question. Uh, I'm gonna say, you know what? Instead of just asking what the last board game you played several times in a row was, I'm gonna say, you know, you said your partner doesn't love board games the way you do, true story. What game have you played more than once with them and what do you think draws them to it? And I will tell you, it's Carcassonne because she really likes putting the tiles uh, next to each other. Uh, 
I just wanted to land here again and remind you that we're thinking of questions as tools and that when we frame questions as that way, in that way, they're not merely sentences with question marks on the end. There's something that we can have a lot of control over, that we can think about the purpose of the question. What are we trying to do with this question? We can think about our intention. How are we trying to, how are we uh, reinforcing the relationship between ourselves and uh, the participant? And then we can think about what ingredients do we want to put in this question to help us uh, achieve both our purpose and our, uh, and our intent. I'm going to leave you with uh, a couple more thoughts. Um, so I've got uh, uh, this idea of a questioning mindset that I want to leave you with. Um, maybe we'll take a couple of questions and then I've got kind of a, a final slide that I want to land on. Um, I want to contrast a questioning mindset with a beginner's mind. Um, and this is a concept from Eastern philosophy. I don't know a whole lot about it, but what I do know, I know from people coming up to me at conferences saying, whoa, when you talk about curiosity, you're really talking about a beginner's mind. And I really feel like uh, this concept has been appropriated and probably um, applied poorly uh, to uh, the work that we do. Um, if you find value in that concept, fantastic. I'm planting a seed of another way of looking at this. I want to instead give you what I'm calling a questioning mindset. And a questioning mindset, like my understanding of a beginner's mind, gives permission to ask naive and basic questions. I'm never afraid to ask a question that might seem ignorant because sometimes those give the best answers. But at the same time, I want to be able to embrace my knowledge and experience. The best interviews that I've done are on topics that I know a lot about because I can ask deeper questions. I can make a connection based on their answers um, that I wouldn't have been able to do before I knew much about licensing or college admissions. I also want to be mindful of the participants' experience of this questioning. Sometimes we're dealing with hard topics. Sometimes we're, to us, licensing looks like uh, a series of steps that you have to go through. But for that person, that's their livelihood on the line. And in addition, I want us to apply a user-centered mindset to the kinds of questions that we ask. How can we make it, if not easy to answer the questions, um, make it acknowledge the fact that these are hard questions. What can we do to fine tune those questions to make sure they are accessible to the people that we are asking? I think there are four aspects to a questioning mindset. The first of these is curiosity. When you have a questioning mindset, you're tapping into your curiosity so you can um, think about how to understand the topic better. You're tapping into your compassion to show the participant that you care about them and their answers and the things that they have to tell you. You're bringing humility um, because you want to show that you respect their perspective, that whatever agenda or goals that you have are secondary relative uh, to the perspective that they are bringing to the table. And the last aspect of a questioning mindset is, how can I help them help me? How can I be aware of 
the affordance of this question, of the usability of this question, so that when someone tries to answer it, they can provide meaningful information and do so in a way that's um, uh, easy for them to do, effortless for them to do. So if you take nothing else away, my hope is that you can start to think about how to integrate these four aspects of the questioning mindset into your practice um, so that um, you can think more deliberately about how you ask questions and why you're asking questions in that way. So I'm going to pop open the Q&A window and see if there's uh, try and pull out one or two questions uh, to answer. Uh, and then I've got one last thought that I want to uh, leave you with. And I'm going to hope that I know how to do this. So I'm not going to read out anybody's names. I don't know if you all can see these as well. Um, but I'm going to start at the top and work my way down. Um, so someone asks, uh, do you have any specific ways in which you handle questions that could hit a sensitive note with a participant or place uh, the participant in a vulnerable position? How do you recover if the participant hits a brick wall in not wanting to answer a question they feel uncomfortable about? Uh, what a great uh, question. Um, and uh, I, um, I have two thoughts uh, on that. Usually, when we're talking about participants, maybe we're talking about uh, user research, right? Uh, interviewing uh, users. Uh, so I definitely have uh, a script. Um, my scripts have evolved over the 25 years I've been doing this from specific questions that I want to ask to more topics that I want to cover. Um, so I will uh, happily switch gears if someone is not comfortable uh, with that. But at the outset, um, I always say something like, some of the topics that we're going to cover may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Um, you just let me know if there's any, uh, anything that you don't want to talk about, and we will switch gears. So I tee them up at the beginning to understand that they are in control, right? And that if there's something that we uh, raise that they're not comfortable talking about, uh, um, we should switch gears. Um, I could get into a whole thing about sort of um, being mindful of safety uh, in especially online venues uh, like this, but I only have an hour. So um, I'm going to take one more, uh, maybe two more questions. Uh, what is the best way to bring a conversation back to uh, uh, back to the question if a participant goes off on a tangent? This is a really great uh, question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, a couple weeks ago, my company, Eight Shapes, had our annual all-hands uh, meeting. We were all meeting on a Zoom like this, and we invited a journalist to come and run a workshop for us on how to um, conduct interviews uh, better. And she picked me out right away as the non-confrontational guy. If someone is talking, I do not want to interrupt them. I uh, find that very awkward. I uh, am very shy and normally, so I struggle with it. So she taught us some techniques for interrupting. Um, and the best thing that uh, I learned in that um, is uh, saying their name. 
right? So uh, if uh, Steve is talking and he's talking uh, about a topic that I jump in and say, Steve, that's really interesting stuff. I uh, appreciate what you're saying. I've got some other topics I really need to get to. Uh, so we're going to switch gears back to that. But maybe you're different from me, but if you're anything like me, the hardest part is kind of breaking in. And uh, uh, our, our workshop leader suggested just use their name uh, and then sort of blame your agenda, right? Blame your, the things that you need to get to. Well, people are getting so excited about questions. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, this person said, you mentioned you are a bit cautious around empathizing in questioning as it's often hard to truly understand what some people are going through. Have you encountered a time when a question was received in a negative manner? Perhaps interviewees assumed disingenuity. Disingenuity. Um, thank you for teaching me that word. Um, that is not something that I can recall. For me, the hardest interviews were the teenagers um, because they were teenagers. And so they're sort of just reluctant to engage with the middle-aged man. Um, and uh, what I did in those conversations was kind of let them drive a bit. Um, this was um, an opportunity for them to kind of riff a bit on uh, the future and the pressure that they felt about uh, career and college and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to do one more. Uh, hi, Dan. Thanks for the great insights. Thanks for acknowledging my insights. I'm interested to know if you have a formula for the categories of questions you might ask in an interview. Do you start with asking bio-related questions and then uh, experiential questions? Um, so I think what you're asking is like, is there a kind of standard framework uh, for the for the script? Uh, I don't think so, only because as you saw, I deal with such a wide range of topics. Um, but one of the things that I always do is think about um, priming questions. So questions that I can put at the outset to just get them in the right mindset. And I think a lot about the transitions from one topic to another. So if we have three topics that we're trying to cover, I want to have my transition question pretty well thought through and nailed down so that I can help them switch their mindset. Because you could just waste a lot of time on going down a rabbit hole um, that is not related because they didn't understand uh, the, the framing uh, of, of the question or the, the context of the of the question. I mean, another thing about tangents, and this is one of the reasons why um, sometimes my clients get a little upset with me, is I just have a natural curiosity about people and how they work and what they do. And so I will indulge tangents. I sort of like give myself a quota of like, okay, one tangent per interview, because I'm genuinely interested in what they do. And even though those insights may not have specific bearing on the product that you're working on, they do a lot to help you fill in some background knowledge and uh, create a rapport with them. Um, because if you're following your own natural curiosity about something, then you are engaged, you're leaning in to that conversation. Friends, we're getting close to the top of the hour, and I had a couple more things I wanted to do. These questions look amazing. 
um, Anonymous really asked a lot of questions. Um, so hopefully we can keep those. And what I'll do is maybe post them in the Slack and write up some answers uh, to them um, uh, after I go to sleep. So while you're asleep, I will write answers to your questions. Okay. Uh, I'm going to switch back uh, to my uh, presentation here and just kind of on a final note here, I wanted to pick up on something that Steve said uh, at the outset about systems. Um, maybe it's taken us a long time uh, to get here, but we in the user experience world are increasingly being asked to look at a complex system and make heads or tails of it, right? And I think a questioning mindset is a, the crucial approach for doing that, bringing to bear humility and curiosity and compassion and awareness, right? Bringing those to bear as we're looking at a complex system means that we can have a much better understanding uh, of what's going on beneath the surface. We have to recognize that there's more to whatever it is that we're working on, whether it's licensing or college admissions uh, or um, you know, clinical trials, right? There's a lot more to a system than meets the eye. And that a questioning mindset is one that I'm trying to cultivate in myself because I want more than a superficial understanding of what's going on in that system. And the reason why that's important is because I can understand what those deeper connections are between the elements of the system or even elements that people didn't acknowledge were there but we but turn out to be there because when we have a better understanding of those connections and those elements of the system a deeper understanding it sets us up for dismantling that system for looking hard at it and making sure that it's doing what it is meant to do and then we also have the basic components for rebuilding it and building it into something that's even better Friends, my work here in the forum is done. Thank you so much uh, for your awesome questions. I hope you had fun with uh, the exercises. Um, you can always get in touch with me, uh, at dan at hapes.com uh, or on Twitter, uh, which is a mix of politics and board games and user experience uh, with a bit of parenting and dog ownership uh, thrown in. Um, but uh, I'm always happy to uh, engage uh, on Twitter. Uh, so I'm going to uh, stop now and say thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. That was wonderful.